Welcome to the Inner Huddle, a youth football development podcast for parents, coaches, and managers of young aspiring footballers. Your hosts from Pezza Street Soccer are Pez and Jeff. Welcome back to the Inner Huddle. We are joined with special guest Coach Anderson, otherwise known as Terry Anderson, um, from Coach Anderson UK, is it? Yeah, yeah, my like Instagram and things like that. It's Coach Anderson UK. Okay, so other than that, where can people find out more about you? Because I'll forget if I don't do it. Yeah, so my uh, my website is www.coachanderson.co.uk, or Facebook um, and Instagram is Coach Anderson UK, all as one word. And then obviously the gym. If anyone's interested in thinking about uh, contacts in the gym in Andover, um, I'm at Reasons Fitness, which is uh, reasonsfitness.com. Cool. I had a little look on your website this morning, actually, and I really liked it because Jeff's the same as me. We need things that are simple. I mean, we have a, a phrase all the time, keep it simple, do it well, and I think your website's perfect for that. So basically what I'm trying to say is if I can understand it, <laughs> then it's a pretty decent website all around. So, um, Jeffrey, did you want to hit us up with this? Yeah, I'll try and do two questions at once. I'll tell you what, you are just the main man. What are your thoughts on sports drinks? is question number six but 11 similar is water the best drink I should be sending my child to football with yeah so question six and 11 are so similar um, Jeffrey's taking it upon himself to lump them together I love that Jeffrey <laughs> yeah so uh, uh, yeah I think um, my take on sports drinks are you know for children I don't think they're necessary really in fact even for adults it's probably more of a placebo effect you're getting with regards to sports drinks. Water is by far the best thing to, to give anyone. Children are 100%, they should be just drinking water, make sure they're absolutely hydrated. Um, most most of the things like cramp and stuff that, that could happen as a result of like a, a loss of electrolytes, it's only going to happen at the very end of a game. Most of the kids are going to have enough carbohydrate in them to fuel them for a, for a game of football and it's only if it's a persistent problem then you might want to look at uh, look into it a little further but for for like 99% of people just make sure you've got enough water there's so much sugar in sports drinks it's it's like feeding them um you know an isotonic sports drink it's just like giving them a fizzy drink that you probably might not give them at home it's it's exactly the same there's almost like a similar amount of sugar in them and it's and it's stuff that they don't necessarily need they certainly don't need the caffeinated uh, ones that you might buy because they're they're going to be even worse. Um, you don't want to get kids sort of intolerant to that at a young age, uh, in particular. So, yeah, hundred percent. Make sure that they're hydrated on water. Even sports drinks in studies have shown that they only make like a five percent difference, and that's only generally in elite athletes. So, yes, when you're you know Mo Farah trying to beat the next guy. You want to make sure you're absolutely running efficiently, uh, and so sports drinks there can play a, a vital role. But even then, he might not use them in training, might he? Because they'd be bad for him. Yeah, in yeah. Competition, I mean, he might use them on the yeah, day I mean, for that extra percent. They'll literally be working out exactly how many carbohydrates are lost, how much salts lost through sweat. They'll do tests and stuff so that they only give him the optimal amount. They're not just going to take one just because well, I'm about to go for a run, so I'll have. Lucid or whatever you know they'll they'll make sure that it's absolutely necessary and for 95 percent of people even at high level of sport really it's it's water that you need mainly i think they've been so well marketed though some of these drinks that you know parents think it's kind of like another tick in the box another magic thing i'll send my kid to football with a sports drink 
Yeah. Um, Unfortunately, I know Eggy does it a lot, so I hope he is listening after his birthday shout out there. Maybe it's something Eggy could change with you. There's Leo. a school we coach at that puts up all the different types of drinks you could buy and the, then have a bag of sugar underneath them and you see exactly yeah, sugar content, yeah. how much the sugar is going in into these drinks and it is horrendous. I, I think it isn't the sports drink the worst one of all those. I don't know if it's the worst one. There's still your... Might have to take a photo of that. Fizzy, yeah, yeah. Can I just say, if it's if it's something like your children really don't like drinking water, would the best thing to do if you're looking for a drink for them to take with them to make sure that the sticker on them, because they've got all the nutrition, is just green? Because it goes green, amber, red now, doesn't it, on the nutritional stickers? So just go for something that's green on all the sugar in the... Yeah. Just a bit of juice in, in, in water, would you say? Or? Yeah, I mean, like, you know, even something like squash, it's not... You know, it's not as good as water, but the amount that you have, if it's only a minimal amount, it's just to add a little flavour. It's going to be far, far better than adding the tons of sugar and and things like that that you might get in in a bottle of drink. You know, most of the bottles of drink as well, they might be green because it says per two hundred and fifty mil, but it's in a five hundred mil bottle. Which so would take it into amber or something. Yeah, like so it's like you know, in one bottle of an isotonic sports drink, you're looking at around twenty grams of sugars i would recommend around 40 grams per day for okay. your total amount so about four grams per teaspoon of sugar is something it? like that yeah, yeah about, about 10 that. teaspoons of sugar per day is is, is a, that for an adult or a child yeah, that's for that's for an adult generally as well so although children can still have you know a similar amount to an adult as they're growing it's kind of like that is with it with all of your total food so yeah, and you fruit. do see them bring two of these sports drinks bottles to training and stuff, and that's it for the day. Then done. They learn what's in their bread and their sandwiches, and yeah. you know, cereal in the morning, and well, everything's got it in us. Posada, isn't it? Sugar. But I mean, yes, yeah, it's, it's just it's nuts that um, unfortunately, you know, when the advert says it's better than water and stuff like that, you know, no parents to know that it's not. Yeah. You know, and it's and it is shown to be a sports drink, so it's just understanding. You know why is it better than water, and who is it better for? But really, it's only elite athletes. Yeah, it's, it's all very, very important stuff, really. I'll go for question number seven, which we can touch on the drinks for rehydration time as well. On this, so question seven: Have you any advice for pre-match meals? My child is eight, and his kickoffs can be as early as nine a.m. on Sunday mornings. So it's usually a banana and cereal bar in the car. And I know our under sevens play down in Southampton, and they have like 9am kickoffs, and some of them have to travel from Salisbury or Andover and sort of be there for half eight, so have to leave at half seven-ish. Um, doesn't leave a lot of time for breakfast. No, it's, uh, it's a tricky one. It's What I'd say about this is is exactly the same as an adult in terms of I would always recommend a meal in the one to two hours before exercise and in the one to two hours afterwards for recovery. So whether you're a child or an adult, you know, it's no different... Uh, a child getting up for a 9am football game or an adult getting up for 9am work, if you're not getting your breakfast in, that's either going to lead to poor habits later, uh, probably a poorer performance potentially in the game. So, yes, uh, then, like, you know, a cereal bar, and I would recommend fruit more than anything. Uh, Some fruit sort of in the hour before. You don't really want to have anything in the 30 minutes before they're playing really too much. What about water? Yeah, water, yeah. Just make sure you're hydrated. Don't take tons and tons. Um, around 500 mils per hour is about right. But stick with fruit if you're if you're literally at a must. Maybe something like a banana is great to have beforehand. But I would always recommend if you can get some sort of um, you know oats, porridge, that kind of thing, some sort of cereal, or even just some some brown toast is absolutely fine. Just before you leave. 
yeah. an hour or two before if you if it's just before you're leaving in the car it's gonna digest give them energy for their game a bit better than something like a cereal bar would cool great stuff question number eight donna do you want to read this one out uh number eight i've noticed a lot of the children at my training sessions under 12s are snacking during breaks is this a good idea and if so what advice can i give them as to the best type of snacks yeah i mean again you do, sort of during exercise you don't want to be having loads so something like a little bit of fruit is absolutely fine you know even at uh, premiership they have as they walk in the tunnel they've got bananas there you know bananas are haven't changed it's you know no matter how many elite foods that there are now and scientific things you know a simple banana at half time or half a banana is going to be better or even just your oranges you know you, you grew up on as adults we'll just have uh, oranges in the, at half time that's going to be absolutely fine you don't really want to be having anything that's too big or even too sugary uh, necessarily at half time so simply a bit of fruit would be great i've noticed this a lot i don't know about you jeff it's creeping into some of our coaching sessions perhaps the sort of the two hour one we do on a saturday i've noticed some kids go out and have a snack and some parents have actually asked me is, is he okay to have a snack particularly on holiday courses is he okay to snack and I said well yeah it's absolutely fine but then you see him with a miles bar or something and then other kids are like oh well, why is he allowed a miles bar and actually to have some sort of facts or advice on it would be good for us too yeah, I think if you're if you're literally like at an all day camp, yeah, you need you miss you're gonna to have to make sure you've got food there for energy. But if it's a simple training session that's hour to an hour and a half, you don't really need to be kind of having too much during. It should have been there beforehand. Yeah. So you, if they feel correctly beforehand, if they've had a good meal or at least a decent snack in, you know, the hour or two before they are about to play. That hour, hour and a half, they're going to be fine. They don't need to have necessarily a snack in that time. Just plenty of water. Great advice. Okay, <laughs> question number nine is, my daughter is an under 11 and has played football for many years. She's very good, but really struggles with a lack of pace, which I think really holds her back. I've been told you're born fast or you're not. Is this true? And is there any way I can help her to improve? Yeah, it's kind of both sort of thought processes are correct here in that are you born fast or not? Yeah, you're going to have a genetic makeup, which is you're going to either be more predispositioned to having fast twitch fibres because your muscles are made up of sort of three different types of fibre. You've got fast twitch, slow twitch, and a different kind of fast twitch. And your body will be able to grow and adapt to them. But you're going to have a genetic makeup, which is either going to say you're going to be more powerful and fast naturally or yeah. you're going to be more inclined for things like... So you have got kind of a ceiling of your potential depending on what yeah. fibres you're born with. Yeah, yeah. Is... It's like, you know, Usain Bolt is predisposed to having the fast-switch fibres. People can't touch him when it comes to speed because his genetic capacity is just that much more than the next person. But it does not mean that you cannot train the muscle fibres to become faster. So in this case, if somebody has a lack of pace, can they get faster? 100% yeah. So you just have to train specifically for that. So if somebody isn't as fast, you need to do the drills that are required to improve sprints. Is it is it a short distance sprint? Is it pace over the whole pitch? Um, or is it just acceleration? Whatever it is that's not quite there, it's the specific training that 
that's required for that is what will, will help her um, become faster and it takes time um, it's not going to be something that's developed just overnight but with consistent practice and progression um, she has the ability to get faster even if she's predisposed to not being a sprinter for example yeah and it's something they can practice on their own isn't it it's not it's not like have obviously under 11 it's just to get a personal trainer or no, research yeah, that heavily if you want to get faster over five yards say then you go out and practice over five yards go down to the park go to the football pitch you know can you sprint can you do 10 sprints of the 18 yard box to the halfway line and then walk back you know walk back get to the 18 yard box sprint again walk back do that 10 times it will get easier you will get faster if you have someone there that's able to time you just by simply practicing that and giving it 100 percent, you'll naturally get quicker it's not to say that she necessarily will ever be the fastest in her team or as fast as the next person but she can definitely get faster and throw a ball in as well sometimes and mix it up because plenty of people that are fast but when they've got a ball at their feet aren't particularly quick yeah so you know when i played i was as quick with the ball as without a ball and got me through 20 years of playing football um you were quite quick as well terry i seem to remember yeah You're a winger, I, weren't you? yeah when i'm yeah. not injured i'm <laughs> still fairly quick but you know that might be if she practices over five ten yards with a ball at her feet she might become very good at that and that might be enough to you know maximize her potential if you like so yeah 100 cool we're flying through these now jeffrey yes we are must do be your turn sunshine. do you want me to do number 10 yes please i think we've touched on this previously at what age does it become important to warm up and cool down before or after matches and training uh yes yeah, this is kind of the same as the, the flexibility and stretching question at every age i think you need to do some form of warm-up it will change as you go through sort of childhood but you need to be able to prepare the body for exercise and then recover from it. And that's exactly the same for a five-year-old as it is for a 15 or a 50-year-old. It's just what you would do will slightly change. It's just mimicking what you're about to do, gradually building an intensity there to match that of the game, play the game, and then bring the intensity back down again and so that the muscles don't just go from A to B or 0 to 100 and then straight back down to zero again. Yeah, we did touch on this earlier, didn't we? But it is a bugbear of mine with sort of under sevens, eights, nines, tens, the real young age groups, and I see it. In fact, I saw it in Malta when I went to watch a couple of games out there, Jeff. I think you'd flown home by then, but it was actually before the matches, and they were doing straight line warm-ups. And, you know, I was moaning about it to my other half, going, you know, straight lines. And she's like, oh, but don't they do that in the Premier League? And it's that kind of, I don't know, attitude, though. It's good enough for the Premier League, but they're kids, they're not adults. And you don't run in straight lines in football all the time. And that's all it was. It was just straight line running. And then they'd sort of curve back and jog back to the start and then sprint in a straight line and back. You know, and I was thinking, give them a ball and let them go all different twists and turns, different directions, have to react to things and bark in the brain as well as, um, you know, the neurological system as, as well as preparing the muscles at the same time but that's one of our bugbears isn't it jeff yeah massively, massively. if you if you're you said it you're preparing the body and the mind for a specific activity and if that activity is football use football it just doesn't seem that difficult a concept to me jeffrey but anyway shall we move on mm-hmm. before i carry on waffling again it's now question 12 isn't it yes because you very cleverly put two together does, earlier does, didn't you don't i want to read out question 12 I'm pretty careful about my own diet, but much less so with my nine-year-old son. He's pretty, he pretty much gets away with eating what he likes and never puts on any weight at all. Should I be more careful or is it okay to continue whilst he's young enough to get away with it? I think you said about this earlier on, didn't yeah, you? Yeah, again, it's a very similar question to that. Yeah, I mean, um, 
I'll add to what I said earlier in that just because somebody doesn't look necessarily overweight or perhaps isn't, you know, hasn't got the effects of uh, being obese um, as a child because they have got a high metabolism, it doesn't mean that other things aren't going on. So a couple of examples here are that poor nutrition can lead to things like behavioural problems, ADHD, depression, anxiety. So it's not that 100% if a child has any of these, it's going to be linked to their nutrition, but it certainly could be. It's the same with things like um, refined sugars and fats cause inflammation in the body so your child may not be overweight as such but they could well be having things like psoriasis eczema asthma these are all conditions which again may not be a result of poor nutrition but they 100% can be and many many parents wouldn't even consider the fact if their child had eczema that it's related to perhaps the poor nutrition that they've got they don't have to be overweight but there are certainly health risks and health benefits that your nine-year-old could have as a result of poor nutrition of course the longer the diet is bad the more chances you know your chance of getting something like that increase yeah 100 percent. yeah um it, it goes right through to adulthood you know some of these conditions that you might have as an adult which are then more ingrained um and you might even have had medication as a result of that they'll become harder to treat but nutrition can always help it might not be the perfect cure for things but you know the earlier you start with these things the better chance you have of fighting them off and, and not being so resistant to the treatments that, that are there. Yeah, it's not just as simple as saying, my kid's not got an ounce of fat on him. Yeah. You know, he's perfectly healthy, so I'll let him eat what he wants. It's, there's other stuff that could be going on. Yeah. I mean, as a nation, the youth have never been fatter, have they? No, not um, at all. I don't know what the stats are, but um, statistically, I think the country's youth have never been more obese. So it's quite, I know for some parents to think, well, my kid's not, so you know we haven't got a problem because there might be lots in his class that are or her class but mine isn't so i'll keep doing what i'm doing yeah i mean the, probably the scariest thing i'll say here it is scary but it is you gotta take this with a pinch of salt in that if you looked at the list of carcinogens that there are from the world health organization so the things that cause a potential causes for cancer processed meat is a category one carcinogen so it's up there with smoking and alcohol in terms of its risk of causing cancer wowzers so what, is that like the ham and the chicken and things you get from the shop that you put in your kids' sandwiches thinking yeah. that it's healthy? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ham, chicken, turkey dinosaurs, chicken nuggets, like anything that isn't just what it is. If it's not a cut of meat from, you know, that hasn't been processed, it is a processed meat. Sausages, things like that. And it's not to say that, you know, I never eat sausages or bacon or anything like that. You've got to take it with a pinch of salt in that you could not eat anything. You could have never have alcohol. You could never have processed meat. You could never have this and this and this. And the list of carcinogens is absolutely endless. However, it's not ever really told to the public that the ham that you're feeding is a potential carcinogen. That's advertised as sandwich ham. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and then it's just, it's there in black and white on the World Health Organization's website. I actually had a little browse again today um, just to see, make sure it was still on there um, to make sure that what I was saying wasn't outdated. And it's there in black and white, processed meat, along with many, many other things that would be found in all sorts of foods. So you can't really avoid them. And I'm not to say that you shouldn't feed your kids ham, you know, but at the same time, most parents don't know that if you are only feeding them turkey dinosaurs, you know, ham sandwiches at, at lunch and then those kind of chicken nuggets and stuff in the, the, in the evening, it's kind of like a similar level of risk as alcohol and, and smoking. Interesting. Um, you mentioned sausages. 
This yeah. is one of my family's favourite things. Yeah. To eat is sausages. So, um, so are you looking for sausages that are potentially like ninety something percent pork, things like that, rather than getting the ones there's certain top brand names that yeah. sometimes are on special. That and when I've looked on the back of them, they're only like sixty seven percent pork. Um, so you're really looking for things that have got more meat in them than they have other things. Yeah, my advice with uh, with things like that is to go for as lean as possible. Go for lean mints. You know, yes, it might cost a little bit more, but it's because you're getting more meat effectively. You, you're getting more of what it's actually supposed to be, particularly with things like sausages. You can get sausages now that are sort of 97% meat, and so they are going to be much better for you. Um, like I said, it's not to scare anyone or anything, and, and actually, yeah, it's going to be far worse if you were giving a a cigarette but um, at the same time you just got to be mindful of the fact that actually your kid doesn't have to be crazy overweight for it to have profound health effects later on very good answer we are adding lots of value today aren't we Jeffrey well we're not Terry no. is right we've got four questions left we're going to have to crack on a little bit and Pez is going to have to stop waffling right question number 13 at what age do children start losing their natural fitness and when should coaches start implementing fitness training into their sessions? Um, I think I think there's probably a little bit of a myth somewhat in like kids have natural fitness. I think they just basically run around more than what adults do, and so they have more fitness in general. There's always going to be, even at a young age, somebody who's more fit than the next person, um, and one child's going to be able to do more than the next child. But I think in terms of what age they can they can become unfit straight away a child could become you know heavily unfit from a very very young age it's yeah i think fitness should be incorporated into all sessions but really fitness is you know what do you want to be fit for so if it's talking specifically for football simply playing football will give you an element of fitness for football yeah so there's actually nothing better for fitness for football than playing football yeah yeah exactly so i think it's like as a kid, should they be, you know, made to be going out and doing 5k runs? No, not necessarily. That's not going to necessarily be specific for them or it's not something they need to do. But if you notice that they're not fit for football and they need to be, then going out and playing a little bit more might help them. Similarly, if they're playing so much that actually they're tired all the time, maybe they need to do a little bit less in order to recover and become fit. Because in order to become fit, you still need to, to rest and recover. Yeah, it's another one, isn't it, Jeff? where... I mean, for instance, last season I went to watch a training session and the manager had set up loads of nice little circuits. So he had a burpees thing and he had even brought like exercise bikes and things like that. And it was it was great. And the kids loved it. But there was me and my football head on thinking, actually, they're not doing specific football. The parents loved watching it and it looked, you know, like it was really well organised, which it was. And there's a lot of effort and thought gone into it. I thought, well, actually, if you just let them play football and put the team sizes smaller and put the, you know, put some restrictions on the game and all that, they probably get to the same intensity and it'd be football specific. But it's difficult to get through to a lot. Of Taking people. numbers out of a football pitch increases the intensity because you're always working. So if you play eleven v eleven and you do a one v one, you're constantly working whilst you're doing that one v one or a two v two or a three v three. The more people you add, the less work you kind of have to do, isn't it? Yeah, I think as well. Like, I, so I, I grew up a sportsman. I still am. Like, I. I love sport, you know. I, you know, I love working out. I love keeping healthy and fit. But I love nothing more than being fit for a sport to compete. I love that that element. And for me, one hundred percent, I'm in the same mindset of you. Is that if I could get a child to just acquire umpteen amount of skill 
and ability as a child, they can always get fit. It's only when they're older that fitness becomes a part. You know, for example, Ronaldo, he to be the best in the world, he it's because part of what he does is he's fitter than everyone else in the world. He's 32 or 33 with a 23-year-old's body and that's, you know, medically proven. So he's able to play on longer than the next person. Harry Kane, after his great first season um, with Tottenham scoring goals, he was at a body fat percentage of that of the next guy he had reduced it by sort of eight percent and he'd become an even better player but that's at the top end of sport when they've already learned all the skills with ronaldo he still does a lot of football specific exercises yeah so he'll still work with a ball a lot individually won't he jeff and put yeah. weights on his ankles and yeah. things like that so I and mean, he, he was miles ahead of most people from a very young age and he, he realized to do the football specific exercises and just do them more than everybody else and work harder than everybody else yeah but you know if you're if you're doing burpees and sit-ups and exercise bike, you're just going to get good at burpees. Yeah, and exactly. exercise for kids, it's far more important. To for be adults, those, they're the extra little 1% that we talk about a lot, aren't yeah. they? For the adults, for the kids, like you've been talking yeah. about, Terry. It's, it's if you've got kids acro- with injuries and things, or anyone with injuries, then the bike would be perfect for yeah. that. Yeah. Swim but in and... For, for kids, you want them to develop their core skills, don't you? You want them to be the best they can be at their sport and then those little 1% that you see adults doing are what adults do to get those little extra 1% advantages, aren't they? So basically, yeah. if you're coaching kids, don't just copy what you see adults doing because... And that's why that's boxers spar a lot because it's the closest thing they can get to actually the intensity of when they're competing and even then, you can't really mimic yeah. what you have to go through in the, the boxing ring. It's the same as footballers come back from injury, they can be as fit as they can possibly be and then they come off and say I'm not match fit because there is a difference yeah 100% right question number 14 Jeffrey. at what age is it safe for children to start strength and condition training and what sort of things should they be doing at what, which age mm, very contentious one this one so strength and conditioning it depends what people kind of consider that like strength and conditioning effectively your child will be doing strength and conditioning from the age that they can stand up so if you look at how a baby squats they have 99% of the time perfect squat form and they unlearn that as they grow older if they continue to squat down like they do as a child their uh, feet flat they'll get down and squat right down to the floor and play with their toys on their feet um, they won't bend over at the hips and things like that effectively they're learning strength and conditioning straight from the word go that can continue up to you know early teens now early movement patterns and strength with their body weight is you know can be can be vital as a child but they don't need to be go lifting weights when they're that age that's why i imagine when i read the question was yeah kids on weight machines being seven I mean, eight nine years of in age in the gym so because ronaldo's got a nice body we'll, we'll do some weight training early and get an extra percent no even the weights that, that they all lift aren't you know they're, they're there for a specific reason they're not there to because they can see how much weight they can lift it's no no child needs to be going lifting weights and stuff like that they, they, they it's dangerous too yeah, because they can, you know, outgrow their muscles, can outgrow their joints, so they're still developing. They can get growth problems as a result. I mean, even in a gym setting, so we're, we're legally not allowed to have anyone that's under 13 in a gym, um, and in that, in, unless they're with a personal trainer. And in that, that case, even those 13 to 16-year-olds, they have to use only a percentage of their body weight. So okay. when they lift, they don't lift anything above their body weight in certain very specific circumstances you'll get um, athletes that will probably do more but that's at a very very elite level for most children it is literally a case of up to the age of 16 or 18 their body's still growing so they it's actually bad to lift too much weight it's not bad to learn movement patterns or to keep 
that baby squatting correctly, that's certainly not bad. Developing. So a range of movement exercises and using your body weight, you're pretty safe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I mean, it's incorporated within schools now, um, fitness, and most professionals will get into that. So developing movement patterns is, is, is a good thing to do, but not necessarily with weight bearing. Interesting. Where would anyone sort of find out more about this? Because I think it's quite a big topic that... A lot of parents might be interested in you well, just YouTube or something like that. Or? I'd, I'd seek out um, a, a professional, health professional. So, you know, if you was to go into the local gym, um, I mean, all of us down at Reasons would be able to help you around here in the local area. You know, we have teen-specific courses that we we would run um, occasionally, so that we can teach correct um, lifting, correct movement patterns for their age. Um, I, I would 100% always say seek out a, an exercise and health professional. Um, I wouldn't go looking online because you could end up finding anything. Really. Yeah, yeah, it's not, it's not safe enough. Right, by jolly gosh, I think we might actually finish these, don't you, Donna? Yeah, you've you've literally got three minutes. Oh, have you right? Yeah. Question 15. Do you have any golden rules that children and parents can follow with regards to their diet? Any little golden nuggets? Yeah, okay, so I'll just literally give like a basic recommendation of what I'd suggest. So a really good way and a... A perfect way to measure your food is to use your hand as a portion size. As you grow bigger, your hand grows bigger generally. So um, a kid needs to use the same rules as an adult. I recommend three to five servings per day of vegetables, which I would use a fist-sized portion. Fruit, two to three servings a day of a fist-sized portion. And then um, for things like protein, beans, legumes, meat, egg, fish, two or three palms a day, so just the palm of your hand. And then things like whole grains, you're looking at two to three per day. And things like um, potatoes, rice, pasta, those kind of things, two to three um, of like a half a fist. And then nuts, seeds, olives, avocados, coconut, those kind of things, um, which are healthy fats. You're looking at two or three thumbs a day. So it's a fist for veg, um, fruit. It's a palm for your protein-based foods. Uh, it's a cupped palm or half a fist for whole grains. Um, and starchy carbohydrates and then for nuts seeds and things like that your healthy fats it's two or three thumbs a day so you'll always have your hand on you um, you should hope so well, yeah. yeah the big one that i picked up from the elite training camp when you you did our older age groups and gave a talk there and i thought it was brilliant and um, don't worry if you missed all that because you will be able to pick it up on the inner huddle podcast which should be available on all sorts of well wherever you listen to your podcast basically i do it through itunes when I was a child, we used to play all day, every day during the holidays and until it got dark after school. There are now some pretty strict rules from the FA on how much children can play. I know that it is competitive football that it relates to, but just wonder what your thoughts are on the amount of hours children should be able to exercise for. I'm pretty sure it's, it's going to be difficult to time the amount of exercise a child has because exercise can be run around the playground and stuff as well. So all I would say is they're going to experience the same fatigue elements that you'd get as a as an adult. So if you start to see a child that's starting to get injured, which is more difficult for a child to get injured, if they're starting to overtrain, get soreness, fatigue, sleeping more often than they were, look out for these signs um, and perhaps then they're doing a little bit too much, they need to recover. Other than that, you know, kids need to to go and acquire skills so as much time as they can get yeah, I think I think the FA put something out where a child can only play for 60 minutes at a certain age group and a lot of parents are taking this on board that they can't do any more than that with other sports yeah. but you know I think as long as they're not showing those signs yeah. they can pretty much carry on like we always used to play all day every day it's good for kids to play and you know and, and exercise in general so I wouldn't say to put a, a stop on it or limit it to any degree but 
I think it was actually brought in to protect the child from being touted around different teams and playing for more than one team in a day yeah, to help yeah, adults yeah. get a win and get results. Right, brilliant. Thank you very much, Terry. It's been an absolute Thanks pleasure. This has been The Inner Huddle with Pez and Jeff. The Inner Huddle from Pez Street Soccer.